Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus 32 called An Invitation to Intercession. And so the Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people, nine. Behold, they are an obstinate people. Every other modern version says they are a stiff-necked people. Now, I have a stiff neck often. Anybody else? Now, my kids like to make fun of me because sometimes they call me and I move my whole body to respond. Yes, <laughs> what can I do for you? <laughs> right. And uh, it's not fun to have a stiff neck, but... That's not what this is really about. This is not that you have some aches and pains and your neck's a little stiff. This is actually the idea of a beast of burden in the original language that its master is trying to get it to put on the yoke and move in a certain direction and it refuses. You've seen the pictures of the donkey that you know just kind of sits uh, down and won't move and they're trying to drag it along. That's kind of the idea here. To be obstinate is to be difficult to be oppositional, to make everything hard and not to listen to your master. And that's exactly how Israel kind of became coined throughout the Old Testament. They are a obstinate, stiff-necked people. Now, I hope that none of you have that reputation and don't look at anybody if you think they might (laughs) in the room. But to be obstinate is not a good thing. This is a paragraph from Riken's commentary. It's hard to hear, but I think it's worthwhile. This is a dangerous position for anyone to be in that is stiff-necked. Obstinate, stiff-necked people always think they're right and never admit they're wrong. They refuse to listen to good spiritual counsel. They say, I'm sorry, but that's just the way I am. And then they expect everyone else to deal with it. They ask for advice, but they don't follow it. They go ahead and do what they were planning to do anyway. And when they get in trouble, they're unwilling to be corrected. Yes, they say, but my situation is different. And then they offer some kind of excuse. When they go through suffering, they complain about it, but they never seem to learn from it. They never change. They never grow. And the saddest thing of all is that they don't even know it. Since they, ne- they never bow in true submission to God, they don't even realize how stiff-necked they are. Now, the opposite of stiff-necked uh, people or obstinate people is to be soft, teachable, and pliable. Now, if your desire is to grow in your faith, if your desire is to mature and move forward in your life, don't be obstinate. Amen? Don't be stiff-necked. Be soft and pliable, especially to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Don't, you know, just discount spiritual counsel or people who have gone before you with years or spiritual wisdom. Don't just dismiss what they have to say. They have a lot to say that can be of great value if we're willing to listen. If only my people would listen. How many times did God say that of Israel? If only my people would listen to me. And and if you open up your ears, you can save yourself a lot of sorrow. 
And so God says to Moses, now, let me alone. Now then, let me alone, verse 10, that I am that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. The Hebrew word kala is an absolute destruction. And I will make of you a great nation. God essentially says, get out of my way. Leave me alone. Let my anger, my full wrath burn against them. I'm going to destroy them and start over with you. Now, if you're Moses up on the mountain, you might contemplate just for a couple of seconds, right? Hmm. (laughs) Let's see. Everybody would call, be called the Mosesites or something like that. Kind of a cool prospect. I'd be the new Abraham, the new patriarch, the new beginning. Pretty wonderful. And all those people who are pretty much a pain down at the bottom of the mountain, well, poof, they'd be gone. It's almost like the, the famous movie Home Alone. You know, I'm sick of my family. I wish they were gone. And whoop, <laughs> they forget you. <laughs> Off they go. And so Moses, all of a sudden, is told by God, leave me alone, I'm going to destroy them. Question, does God need Moses' permission to destroy his people? Answer, no. Do you see how we're getting little hints in the text that what God is actually doing is not uh, desiring to destroy his people, but inviting Moses to intercede for his people? And in Moses, we do have a picture of the Messiah, which we'll get to at the end of the message. But right here, God says, leave me alone, which I think is kind of a veiled invitation for Moses to pray. I'll start over with you. When the devil uh, tempted Jesus in Matthew 4 and Luke 4, he basically showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, if you will bow down and worship me, I'll give you all of this. And Jesus, of course, uh, dealt with the temptation with the word of God and told the devil to scram. What's interesting to think about is that Jesus was compelled by the Holy Spirit to go out into the wilderness and be tempted by Satan for 40 days. Now, the Lord drove Jesus out to face that temptation. I don't know, I'm not going to be dogmatic on this, but this was a thought I had, that Moses faced a similar temptation up on the mountain. Now, God never tempts us to sin, so in this case, it's a test. When Jesus went out into the wilderness, it was a test. God doesn't tempt anyone to evil, but he does put us through tests. And if you look at this from the conservative theological standpoint, that God is omniscient, and he never planned, he never really changed his mind, he was doing something else here, then Moses was being put through a test. Genesis 22.1 says, God tested Abraham. God does put his people through tests. Amen? What do you think he's trying to accomplish when he tests us? What do you think? He's trying to mature us, right? He's trying to grow us to make us stronger. If we pass a test, we get stronger in our faith. Now, often what the Lord uses for a test, the devil wants to use as a temptation. But one writer put it this way, what Moses is faced with is the dictator's dream. You say, what do you, what do you mean by that? The dictator's dream is that I have a whole nation of people that follow me and worship me and obey me. 
in essence, Moses is really being given a test so that where his allegiances lie, do they lie with God? Does he really love the people that God has entrusted him with? Or are his allegiances elsewhere? This is what's been called a rhetorical proposal from God. And basically it's something like this. Uh, Here is what I will do unless you intervene. Balls in your court. What you gonna do now? Now God knows what Moses will do. Moses, according to Numbers 12 verse three, is the most humble man on the planet. Moses walks in humility. And he does not want to see this happen. But some of the reasons, in fact, I think every reason that Moses lists as to why God should not destroy the people have all one thing in common. They all have to do with God's glory. Let me make an application point here. If you're if the trajectory of your prayers are driven by the character of humility and for the ultimate uh, reason of God's glory, you'll be doing really well. Let me say it one more time. If your prayers are driven by an attitude of humility with the intention of God's glory, I think you're going to see a lot more prayers answered, and I think you're going to be praying for the right things. Amen? An attitude of humility with the desire for God's glory. And so God has opened the door for Moses to intercede. And there is a need for intercession, a desperate need indeed. And uh, Moses is going to intervene. And there are people that he does love at the bottom of the mountain. And I'll pause here to say that I know a lot of you are praying for people that you love. And it seems like they're at the bottom of the mountain right now too. Maybe they're messing around with golden calves and they've lost their way. And what do you do then? You know, it's easy to throw up our hands and just say, well, well, you know, maybe you should start over, God. (laughs) But that's not the attitude because we were there at one point as well, were we not? I had had made and worshipped my own golden calves on more than one occasion. And Moses was just a man and he wasn't perfect either. And so Moses will take the role of a mediator. And it's a beautiful thing that he does. He steps in. In other words, as one writer puts it, what does he say? Do not cease your persistent entreaty and I will not strike the people. God knows that Moses will do this because Moses has a wonderful heart. And I want to show you just a couple of parallel passages. Hold your place in Exodus. We're going to turn to the book of Amos, which it may have been a while if you've turned to Amos. All right, so you're going to have to pass up all the major prophets, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, okay? And then you got Obadiah, Jonah, and Micah. Keep that in mind because we're going to move to Jonah in a second. But the first one is Amos chapter 7. Take a look at what happens here. Amos 7, verse 1. Thus the Lord God showed me, and behold, he was forming a locust swarm, Amos 7, 1, when the spring crop began to sprout. And behold, the spring crop was after the king's mowing. And it came about when it had finished eating the vegetation of the land that I said, Lord God, please pardon. How can Jacob stand? He is so small or he is small. The Lord changed his mind about this. It shall not be, said the Lord. Verse four. Thus the Lord God showed me and behold, the Lord God was calling to contend with them 
by fire. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. You can watch Pastor Michael's teachings in their entirety. 19 chapters later! You're off the hook! We know sometimes you hear Pastor Michael mention slides, and we have made sure you have access to all the videos from his Sunday teachings. The modern application could be the power of the sword with, for example, a police officer. Watching the videos can also be a good way to see how animated Pastor Michael can be on stage. Even if you have to gulp after you've prayed it. And Lord, one more thing, not my will. You can watch the video from today's teaching when you visit walkintruth.com. We also live stream one of our Sunday morning services. Pastor Michael prefers you attend your church Sunday mornings or visit our church, Living Truth Christian Fellowship, as fellowship is important. But you are invited to watch the 1030 a.m. Pacific Time service anytime. Jesus is coming again. Do you believe it? To watch Pastor Michael's teachings and to follow our YouTube channel for live streams, you can find the links and information on walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walk in Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. With the intention of God's glory, I think you're going to see a lot more prayers answered, and I think you're going to be praying for the right things. Amen? An attitude of humility with the desire for God's glory. And so God has opened the door for Moses to intercede. And there is a need for intercession, a desperate need indeed. And uh, Moses is going to intervene. And there are people that he does love at the bottom of the mountain. And I'll pause here to say that I know a lot of you are praying for people that you love. And it seems like they're at the bottom of the mountain right now too. Maybe they're messing around with golden calves and they've lost their way. And what do you do then? You know, it's easy to throw up our hands and just say, oh, well, you know, maybe you should start over, God. (laughs) But that's not the attitude because we were there at one point as well, were we not? I I had made and worshiped my own golden calves on more than one occasion. And Moses was just a man and he wasn't perfect either. And so Moses will take the role of a mediator. And it's a beautiful thing that he does. He steps in. In other words, as one writer puts it, what does he say? Do not cease your persistent entreaty and I will not strike the people. God knows that Moses will do this because Moses has a wonderful heart. And I want to show you just a couple of parallel passages. Hold your place in Exodus. We're going to turn to the book of Amos, which it may have been a while if you've turned to Amos. All right, so you're going to have to pass up all the major prophets, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, okay? And then you got Obadiah, Jonah, and Micah. Keep that in mind because we're going to move to Jonah in a second. But the first one is Amos chapter 7. Take a look at what happens here. Amos 7 verse 1. Thus the Lord God showed me, and behold, he was forming a locust swarm, Amos 7, 1, when the spring crop began to sprout. And behold, the spring crop was after the king's mowing. And it came about when it had finished eating the vegetation of the land that I said, Lord God, please pardon. How can Jacob stand? He is so small, or he is small. 
The Lord changed his mind about this. It shall not be, said the Lord. Verse 4. Thus the Lord God showed me, and behold, the Lord God was calling to contend with them by fire. And it consumed the great deep and began to consume the farmland. And then I said, Lord God, please stop. Now, the first time he says, please pardon, verse 2. Then he says, please stop, verse 5. How can Jacob stand? He's talking about the nation here. How can Israel stand? He is small. And the Lord changed his mind about this. This too shall not be, said the Lord God. Now, the Lord is the one showing Amos these things, inviting his intercession. Amos sees the prospects of what could happen. God invites his intercession. Please pardon. Please stop. And then the Lord mercifully stops. In the book of Jonah, which is a little bit more to your right, um, Jonah famously is called to preach to Nineveh, that great city, the capital of uh, Assyria. And he's given a message, and the message is to call upon the people to repent. This is how it reads, Jonah 3, verse 4. Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed or overthrown. Jonah 3, 5. The people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, Jonah 3, 6, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes. And he issued a proclamation, and it said, in Nineveh, by the decree of the king and of his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth. That's a a garment of mourning or repentance. Let man call on God earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that, that we shall not perish. And when God saw their deeds, that is their fruits of repentance, if you will, that they turned from their wicked way, God relented. Some uh, versions might say repented concerning the calamity which he declared he would bring upon them and he did not do it. Now, once again, the only reason that God sent Jonah to Nineveh was to get them to repent. Amen? Otherwise, if his plan is just to destroy this group of people, there's no need to send a prophet, no need to send a preacher. But we know God's heart is full of mercy and compassion. Amen? He's compassionate for our country, even as bad as things have got here. As crazy as it is, he has compassion. He has compassion for countries that we might not even think twice about. Some of the great moves of God in our day and age are in countries that we might not even imagine. There's a major move of God in Iran right now, we're being told by missionaries. A major move of God in China right now. And it's in places where it's difficult to be a Christian, where God is really moving and the church is exploding. That should say something to us. Here's a couple of scriptures to write down. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. He has said, and will he not do it? He has spoken, and will he not, not make good? 1 Samuel 15, 29 says, And also the glory of Israel will not lie or change his mind. For he is not a man that he should change his mind. 1 Samuel 
15.29. So what is going on here theologically? Well, one must make a distinction between something interesting called conditional declarations and God making unconditional determinations. This is a key to think about. The difference between conditional declarations of God and unconditional determinations of God. That is, God uh, said that he would have a one of David's uh, kin or uh, from his body sit on his throne. That was an unconditional promise. Yet at the same time, there are some things that he says conditionally, like if you do this, then this will happen. Now, it's not like God doesn't know the outcome, but he still lays it before the people. Let me show you a key passage to kind of work through this. It's in the book of Jeremiah 18. So it's a little bit back in your Bible. Just wrestling with some of the theological implications here. Uh, Jeremiah 18 is a good place to park and consider what it says here. So Jeremiah 18 verse 7 reads this way. At one moment, I might speak concerning a nation, Jeremiah 18, 7, and, or concerning a kingdom to uproot, to pull down, or to destroy it. If that nation against which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent concerning the calamity I plan to bring on it. At another moment, I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to build it up or to plant it. If it does evil in my sight by not obeying my voice, 10, then I will think better of the good which, with which I had promised to bless it. So then now speak to the men of Judah and against the inhabitants of Jerusalem and say, saying, thus says the Lord, behold, I'm fashioning calamity against you and devising a plan against you. Oh, turn back each of you from his evil way and reform your ways and your deeds. But they will say it is hopeless where we are going to follow our own plans. Each of us will act according to the stubbornness, there it is, of his evil heart. Therefore, thus says the Lord, ask now among the nations, who ever heard the like of this? The virgin of Israel has done a most appalling thing. Does the snow of Lebanon forsake the rock of the open country? Or is the cold flowing water from a foreign land ever snatched away? For my people have forgotten me. They burn incense to worthless gods. They have stumbled from their ways from the ancient past to walk in bypaths, not on a highway, to make their land a desolation, an object of perpetual hissing. Everyone who passes by it will be astonished and shake his head. Like an east wind, I will scatter them before the enemy. I will show them my back and not my face in the day of their calamity. Then they said, come, let us devise plans against Jeremiah. See, they wouldn't listen. Surely the law is not going to be lost to the priest nor counsel to the sage nor the divine word to the prophet. Come on, let us strike at him with our tongue. Let us give no heed to any of his words. Jesus, when he cried out to Jerusalem, said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I wanted to gather you together. Your children together as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you would not. Brothers and sisters, wherever you lie on the theological spectrum, man has a choice, a real choice. And if we heed the voice of God, God is merciful. God will give us many opportunities to repent. Back to the book of Exodus and we'll wind down for tonight. But 
he does call upon us to make a decision. And here Moses is interceding, representing the people. That's something we need to see. Moses would not leave God alone. God said, let me alone, I'll destroy them. And Moses would not leave him alone. One writer asked the question, will we? Will we throw up our hands on our generation? You've been listening to An Invitation to Intercession, Part 2 on Walk in Truth. That's Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus 32, 7 through 14. If you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Walk in Truth on our free Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, we have pastors on staff that would love to speak to you if you need prayer or counsel. If you're having a hard time and need someone to talk to, or maybe you don't feel like talking at all, but you could use some prayer, call Walk in Truth on Tuesdays through Fridays during daytime hours at 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. Once again, 844-48-TRUTH. And don't forget that Walk in Truth is a listener-supported ministry. Your financial partnership helps us broadcast on this station and provide the podcast for free. Also, more people like you can dive deeper into the Word of God and apply it to their life. Please consider becoming a monthly Walk in Truth partner of at least $10 a month or give a one-time gift. Please visit walkintruth.com to give. And join us tomorrow for part three of Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus 32, 7-14 called An Invitation to Intercession. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, where it's our goal to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.